Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is March the 31st of 2021. Uh, I am Nick, here with Chris, and mm-hmm. as is appropriate for the episode we're about to do, I am invisible for today's <gasps> recording. So That's why we can't I, see you. Uh, like if I, I take if I take away the picture, you go, you can't see Nick. Yeah. So. Uh, but uh, I mean, it, it it doesn't quite work because uh, this podcast is one of the places I feel as if I belong. So uh, it, uh, the, the theme doesn't uh, quite work. It's but, an elaborate April Fool's Day joke. Yes. Like uh, all the ones that you've been seeing out there. I will say we always harp on April Fool's Day. Every time that it's that time of the year in the podcast, which it is, of course, mm-hmm. March 31st means tomorrow is April the 1st, unless they've changed the cameras. Oh. But uh, all the April Fool's stuff that I've been seeing today has just been people like I did something different for this occasion as opposed to, oh, look at this thing that I faked and stuff. I think that maybe people are finally starting to come around to the understanding that just because it's a day dedicated to elaborate japes and hijinks doesn't mean that you can just say something that's a lie and then laugh at people when they believe you. So uh, I much prefer this uh, this different interpretation of it, which is I'm going to do something a little bit weird for this episode, and that's it. Or this, you know, for today, you know, I made a weird song, I made a weird animation, that kind of thing. Hmm. I could dig that. Um, I haven't had that experience. I've been mostly getting the bad ones. I've mostly getting like, hey, we invented a board game arm that'll play board games with you. Oh, it's not real. Robots aren't like that. Use our program instead. And I was like, I already did. Why'd you have to, <laughs> why'd you have to do this to me? You're just being mean. Yeah. I'm not getting anything out of this. Nick, can I note, by the way, I, I, I posted this on Twitter. Uh, but I had a special event happen yesterday. Uh, uh, the reading? Yeah, thing? where I, I read so much Shonen Jump in one day. They were like, no more. Stop. You've done too much. Like a, like a bartender cutting you off. Where they were mm-hmm. like, look, I'm glad you're enjoying Haikyuu. It's great. You're very close to the end. It is 1.30 a.m. You need to stop <laughs> and go to bed. And I was like, no, I'm so close to the end. I've no never more. hit that limit in the entire time I've had their uh, their premium service. I wonder if it's not actually like, and I, I feel like there have been times when I may have accessed a hundred a hundred chapters in a day. Maybe it also like tracks how much of the tra- chapter you've actually read. Um, mm. But I, I I don't know. Like I feel as though I've probably clicked into a hundred chapters in a day before and never gotten that message. So. Yeah, it's the only time I've ever had it happen, and like, it's not like a big deal. I legitimately mm-hmm. did need to go to bed, so it was one of those yeah. times of just like, yeah, it's fine. Twenty-year-old um, Nick and Chris would have been like, "This is bullshit." Yeah, <laughs> this is this is ridiculous. This is why we should only support uh, legal or illegal streaming scanlation sites, you know, because that mm-hmm. that's the only pure way to read manga with an ad, which, by the way, happened actually recently with an ad that said. Your wife doesn't love you, and then had a picture of a naked woman next to it. And I was just like, I don't. <laughs> well, I guess in our case, that is true. Sharp. Uh, <laughs> last I checked, neither of us were married. So. <laughs> it's like, I guess you got me there, Ad. <laughs> you cut right to the core of it. Oh, speaking of not loving, uh, so people not being loved. Um, our manga for today is 
The Bones of an Invisible Person. Known by its uh, Japanese title, Tome Ningen no Hone. It was written by Jun Ogino, ran in Shonen Jump from September of 2017 into March of 2018. Uh, is available in four collected volumes. And, uh, well, this one was a little different, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, hmm. So, I knew going into it a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was not quite expecting, I guess it was all on the 10. The way it was described was a girl has the power of visibility and she runs away from home in her grief and has to deal with it. And that is exactly what you get on the 10. But, um, it was still, uh, a surprisingly sobering read for this sort of series. Yeah. I think that sobering is a good one word, uh, summary of it. Um, it's an odd experience to read it. I guess the way that I would describe it was would be depressingly optimistic. Mm-hmm. That's a it's, really good way to phrase it. It's a really odd reading experience. Uh, we start the, to give you the a brief overview. This is basically what the first chapter consists of. Uh, there's this young girl named Aya Kinomiya. She is in this uh, household with an abusive father. Uh, who, you know, yells at uh, her whenever she does something, even that mildly pisses him off. Like she wants to play a video game while he wants to watch a baseball game. And she he comes crashing down on her. Uh, Her and her brother's mother is the one who suffers the majority of the abuse. Eventually, their dad starts beating her. Um, And this starts when I is very young. I believe that the youngest we ever see her is when she's like seven or eight, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she is about nine, she discovers that when she t- says to herself, I don't want to be here, I want to be somewhere else, uh, that she turns invisible. And uh, there's a little bit of kind of a sci fi ish element to this series because there's a lot of at the beginning explaining the rules of how she turns invisible, uh, what happens when she picks stuff up, uh, the fact that she can basically vanish from people's perceptions, uh, except if she touches them. Um, but it, the rules of the invisibility only come up maybe like twice more in the series after it's used the first time, I would say it's so it's not actually like crazy relevant how the invisibility works except for the first time <laughs> it Pretty is much. very relevant there and i will say is a, a brilliantly done scene uh, but then after that her invisibility is more of like a theoretical or not not theoretical but like symbolic thing she does until one incident as you said later on in the series i for a good portion of the series wondered is the invisibility actually real or is it a metaphor for what actually happened? And no, uh, it, she can actually turn invisible. Someone else sees her turn invisible eventually. So it, it is a real power that she has. So this girl's in this abusive household. Her dad is terrorizing her family, beating her mother and she can turn invisible and no one can see or hear her when she turns invisible. And anything she picks up turns invisible as well. So she decides to kill her dad. 
Uh, she does it while he's like walking on his way to work on the street. She turns invisible and she stabs him, shanks him and kills him. It's and, it, it, it truly is a phenomenal scene because it's just a shot of the dad, like from a side angle, walking mm-hmm. on the sidewalk. Then it stops. He stops. And then he falls to the ground. And I was like, what just happened? I actually had to go back. And you can see in the panel after he stops, the next panel, you can see the knife is in his chest now because mm-hmm. it's one of her rules that anything she's holding becomes invisible with her. But once she stops ha- holding it, it becomes visible again. And it was just a really well done sequence of pages. It's a very cinematic visual manga. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of stretches where there is very little dialogue and you're just kind of watching events happen. Uh, as you know a scene will unfold frame by frame i would honestly even say that this is a series that would probably work really well as a movie as well um because it it might be a little long for a movie but it definitely as you said has all Mm -hmm. the elements to it that feel extraordinarily cinematic at times Mm -hmm. so she kills her dad that's chapter one uh the story is not about so much, however, about Aya, the invisible girl, so much as it is about Aya, the girl who killed her father and got away with it and has to deal with what that means for her. So I don't know how many of you in our audience have uh, read The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe or, or anything like that. Um, it's a story about a man who kills his neighbor, probably because he's a little bit crazy. Uh, and the guilt of what he's done causes him to confess his, to his crime eventually, because he can hear the man still beating heart, uh, which he almost certainly is imagining because of his own guilt and madness. And, uh, there's a little bit of that going on with Aya because, I mean, it's there's a lot of very blunt symbolism that happens in the series, but it's very effective where killing her father has not freed her from the negative effects he had on her life. Because in a lot of moments of doubt and insecurity that she has, he will appear before him. His specter will appear before her and will say, you are a murderer. You shouldn't have done that to me you your darkness is going to infect anyone who gets close to you you should how how can you you know think that you deserve to have a happy life all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and this is why i thought is her invisibility real because i was kind of thinking like maybe she didn't even kill her dad maybe she imagined it and just you know has been so abused that she's taken on the guilt of this but no she did she did kill him um and after she's done that, uh, she she kills him not when she's nine, but when she's like 14 or 15. So a few years have gone by where she's had the ability to turn invisible, but she didn't kill him until several years after. And then when she goes to high school, she decides to move out. And it was kind of always her plan to move out of her house. And that's kind of one of the sources of her guilt, which is if I had just held on a little bit longer, I feel like I could have, you know gotten to a place where he wasn't around and maybe I could have lived a happy life without having to kill him. So maybe I didn't have to do it at all. 
Um, but she kind of also justifies it to herself by saying, well, he was abusing my mom and you never really get a clear answer one way or the other of, did she do it to protect her mom or did she do it for her own sake? It was probably a mixture of both, but she goes back and forth on it. Yeah, it's definitely the triggering thing was definitely that she had abused her, her mom to the point where her mom was openly talking about suicide. And that seems to be sort of the triggering thing. But at the same time, she has opportunities to come out and say, oh, it was for you. And she's like, no, it was for me. So I do think it's a little bit of both. She might just not be, I don't want to say mature enough, but um, maybe self-aware enough to realize that she probably did do it for other people because she selfwardly, like inwardly puts all of this guilt upon herself. So she she might also just be inwardly saying it was only for herself that she did it when truth be told, she probably did have more, altru- I want to say altruistic reasons, but. <laughs> so Aya has gotten out of this house, uh, has killed her dad and is basically starting a new life because she's going to this new school. Uh, she very quickly befriends uh, some, another girl who uh, lives in the apartment next to her. Um, and they're both going to the same school together and stuff. They're in the same year. They end up get, work, getting uh, jobs at the same place. And they really get along right off the bat. Uh, this girl, Kana. And uh, then after that, I meet a, a senpai at her school named Shiori, who definitely isn't her love interest. Nope, she's <laughs> definitely straight. No, no, no undertones to their interactions at all whatsoever. No, I don't even know if I can call it undertones. That feels like straight 100% text, just to the point where we didn't get far enough to see them actually like start a relationship. Yeah. Um, and very shortly as she's kind of getting used to this new life of hers, Aya basically decides that she needs to turn herself in for this murder. Uh, she needs to turn herself over and she needs to face consequences for her actions. And it's an interesting thing that you see unfold because Aya is definitely a very sympathetic figure. You feel for her, but you also know that, you know, what she did was going too far. Uh, but also that guy deserved to die, baby. Like, it's well, it's a complicated issue. So. Well, and that's one thing I really liked and appreciate about the series is it, it did a pretty good job of channeling grief in a believable way because we see the dad and the very first scene that we ever see is sort of like a thought of hers from later down the line of like, Oh, that was the one good time I had with my dad is we went fishing, but she even justifies that away by being like, I only did it because he wanted to or something like that. Uh, and then we just see that he's a very abusive, awful person. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes time for her to think about her dad after the fact, she can't get that scene of her and him fishing out of her mind because it becomes this thing where she needs, like she, she, is is feeling this grief so she latches on to the parts of her dad that felt the most human and the most that actually felt like an actual parent to her um until the point where eventually you realize like that's just all she really has they they do go out of their way to eventually kind of address the sort of person 
her father was. And I will say this is maybe the only, I guess it's, I shouldn't even say knock, but I will say if you are somebody who doesn't like to hear violent abusers kind of given any, like, well, here with their good qualities, you know, deal or whatever, um, you, you might want to avoid this series because it doesn't absolve the father from who he is, but it definitely tries to create a more whole picture to explain him that might get right. uncomfortable for some, because I, I mean, he is straight up just an abusive person, you know, yeah. it, it's, he's not a good person and he, you know, it isn't even like an endeavor storyline where this is a guy who's trying to get better. He was never going to get better. And then he was killed basically. Yeah. Um, but you will eventually find out details about him that'll explain maybe a little bit of why he became the person he did. Yeah. And you'll see, like, even though she hated him, there were people that were in his life that that still miss him and things like that. So mm -hmm. it, it's one of those things that definitely doesn't shy away from the fact that this is a complicated action. But um, yeah, I, I guess the, the way that I would put it is when people uh, find out because they do events, she does eventually confess to multiple people. Mm -hmm. Um, that this person that they loved, uh, she murdered, uh, all of them have uh, mixed feelings on it to some degree. Yeah. The fact that you can say though, yeah, they had mixed feelings about her murdering this person that they loved kind of lets you know <laughs> a lot about him though, that yeah, he did some really messed up unforgivable stuff, but kind of the point is. Even if you put away aside the question of, oh, did that person deserve to die? The fact that she has murdered someone in cold blood is a mark upon her that not only it, I mean, the point isn't even that, oh, if you kill someone, then you'll be hated for the rest of your life. It's if you kill someone then that's going to follow you for the rest of your life, uh, because, yeah, I mean, she has to deal with this and she's, you know, got this kind of looming specter of her own guilt over having done it. And she has this kind of martyr complex about her as well, um, where she, because she was so miserable in life prior to this, she's like, she says to herself, if I just go and face my punishment now, then I won't really care. And I won't actually atone for what I've done because I won't be leaving anything behind. So I have to actually give myself a life that I that I will miss if I lose it in order to actually be properly punished for it. Which is not the only reason she does this, of course. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is that, you know, she wasn't allowed to have a happy life because her dad was making her and her family so miserable. And she wants to experience that before she goes and you know, faces up to something and it kind of turns more into, I need to punish myself more by doing this, uh, into, I need to have something waiting for me on the way out so that I have something to look forward to before I go through any more misery. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's eventually like the, the symbolism just becomes an active game mechanic where, yeah. As long as she doesn't feel like she needs to stay anywhere, she can turn invisible. But once she starts feeling like she's found a place she belongs, that power goes away until suddenly 
she's threatened again or doesn't feel like she could stay somewhere or something like that. Um, and ultimately, the entire story is sort of about her kind of coming forward to people about what she's done, accepting the ramifications of what she's done as as it just kind of being a part of her life and then seeing that there are going to be people that will still accept her as part of her life going forward um to sort of just jump i guess a little bit to the end the way the series kind of concludes is on a note to say i don't know but yeah it's probably going to be okay like yeah i mean i don't do we want to say spoilers i guess um, it's a pretty short series. Yeah. Uh, I read it in like two afternoons. Yeah. So I got through it essentially in a day. Um, it's it, essentially it doesn't end with uh, it ends with her kind of going off to say, all right, I'm going to go turn myself in now, but it's OK because yeah. I know I have people waiting for me when I come back. And it doesn't ever explicitly say she does turn herself in. You assume she's going to. But at the same time. Is she then going to have to, you know, show how she did it? Or are people just going to think she's, you know, she's crazy. She's going to mm-hmm. be tried as yeah, a minor. Going to believe her? <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's going to be one of those things. She's going to be tried as a minor, even if she does. How long would she be? Like, what will ultimately happen as a result of like, that's not, I guess, really the important part. It's that she's accepted the guilt that's on her. She's not going to let it keep her from enjoying the full life that she still deserves and she's not going to let it uh, allow her to push people away, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's nice. As you said, she has people presumably still waiting for her. There's f- several rather touching scenes that she has with very various different members of her family that kind of come out of left field. The The conversation with her brother was the one that mm-hmm. really got me, where as a kid, she always looked at the the abusive household she was in, as, and she was like, my brother's a lot like my father. All he ever cares about is himself. And then you see it later on. And he's like, no, I hated that piece of shit, too. And you know what? I'll take care of everything after you're gone. You know, it's nothing. It's nothing wrong for our little sister to to look up to her little brother and, and count on them. So it kind of paints this idea that he probably wasn't cool with it either. But, you know, maybe he was just dealing with it in a very different way. Yeah. Um. There are a lot of little little moments like that throughout the series um, that are that really did, I think, get me a little bit. There is um, there's an odd side story where her invisibility comes into play because um, Kana's being stalked and mm-hmm. Aya uses her invisibility to um, get information on the guy and turn him in to the police. Uh, but for whatever reason, oh, I think it's a matter of because she's defending something then that means she's starting to belong so the guy notices her presence because her invisibility is in foolproof for a moment basically uh-huh. so he catches on that she's the one responsible for him getting turned into the police so he shows up later in the story and tries to murder her <laughs> <laughs> so it's this very intense yeah dark enough story <laughs> Um, but, uh, she's walking to school with Kana that day and Kana shields her from it and gets stabbed. And, uh, so that's a moment where Aya's guilt comes back into full force. You know, her father appears before her and is like, if you weren't the way that you were, if you had just turned yourself in, then none of this would have happened. Uh, and she, her invisibility kicks in even stronger than ever before. 
And then Shiori goes and finds her because they're really good friends and not at all romantically interested in each other at all in any way. They're just friends. What are you talking about? Um, but uh, I, I will note, the by the way, sorry, uh, sorry. I was just going to say, even with that, the way that she gets found is because even though she's invisible to people, dogs can still see her. Yeah. Good old doggos. Dogs. They can see ghosts. So. <laughs> um. Oh, right. So fortunately, Kana uh, survives the attack because, um, you know, she was not the one that he was he was trying to kill. So she didn't have that. I, uh, I'm going to assassinate my dad. I'm going to fucking murder that dude energy going in. Uh, so she survives it. And uh, when Shiori's gotten Aya to calm down, they go and visit Khan in the hospital. Uh, and while Khan is still in a coma, uh, her mother is there when they show up to visit and uh, they introduce each other and stuff. And Aya's just like, I'm so sorry. This is, and she feels so guilty over this. And she's and she, her, Kana's mother just says, oh, so he was trying to attack you, but Kana protected you, right? And she's like, well, that makes me proud because that means that she got hurt shielding someone that was important to her. It's like, oh, it's, it's like <laughs> yeah, the most, the most heartwarming, like, take you could possibly do. Not, oh, you got my daughter. hurt. No, no. Oh, you you mean so much to my daughter that she risked her life to protect you. And that makes me proud of her. Like, geez. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, like, really nice understanding people in this, which. Yeah, kind of makes the horrible things that happen to Aya go down a little bit easier. So, yeah, uh, just I guess to kind of wrap this up, since where we started a little bit late. Yeah. Um, I will say that this is a series I I liked quite a lot. Um, it was a very very short series, which is always like a positive recommendation in my book. This feels like <laughs> this is a pretty easy recommendation. You want something new to read, and you only have like five hours to do it. You could probably finish this series if you need to. Um, so I'll recommend it to a general people. I still think there are some people who may want to avoid it to some extent. Um, if only for the sense of if, you know, uh, particularly violent sort of abusers is sort of like a no go for you, then understand that's going to be a part of this series. Um, but I think for the most part, people will be able to enjoy this series. I know I did. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was surprising, not that I enjoyed it, but that I enjoyed it in the way that I did. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it's been quite a while since I've, you know, read a manga that made me feel the way this did. So quite liked it. Um, probably never going to read it again, though, because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, hey. Well, no, I mean, in terms of like once was enough. <laughs> oh, no, I know. But I just mean like, hey, we all have those things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that is going to do it for our recommendation for this time. So let's head into our recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap. We're going to kick things off with My Hero Academia, chapter number 307. And I had to restart my computer, so all my tabs are opening up all over again. So there's the chapter. There it is. Chapter number 307. Been a while. I was going to say, if you don't do it, then you're a coward. <laughs> Since I, I don't... could say we <laughs> saw those two characters. <laughs> it's been a while since so, we just murdered children across this ruined Japan. That's just what Muscular is saying. All of his yeah. dialogue will be spoken <laughs> in uh, 
was it puddle of mud that does that uh it's one of those it's not creed it's been a while uh stained that's it stained i had to stop i was like it's not how could puddle I of mud stained mixed up with puddle of mud i was like it's not puddle of mud but it's someone who is borderline identical to them <laughs> all right so well one thing that i did predict correctly last time was i don't think that he's in new york or anything like that and he's not deku's not he's he's in japan uh I didn't expect that this would happen, though. <laughs> so we uh, begin the t- this chapter not with Deku, but with Yoshindo and Tatami Nakagame, two students from Ketsubutsu Academy that oh. we met way back during the Hero pro- uh, Provisional Exam, uh, Provisional License Exam art. So. Of course, I remembered who Shindo was because he was voted like what the number seven most popular character or something in the popularity rankings. I did not remember at all Nakagame, though. <laughs> I should have put her in the character quiz because I didn't remember. <laughs> uh, Nick, I'll, I'll be honest. I almost thought this was like when Bleach started its big final arc and we were introduced to two brand new Soul Reapers who they're like, maybe these guys right. will be like, I thought these were the same guys. I was like, oh, we're starting up a new all new arc, so we're going to be introduced to these two new cool characters. Like, they're not giving us a ton of details. I feel like I'm supposed to know these characters. And then everyone was like, yeah, you don't know Yoshindo from the character popularity poll and i was like no i also I don't get it. what grand his his name means for his power which are earthquake powers oh uh, grand canyon I don't, know. I don't know i guess it's a way better name than turtleneck though <laughs> well she's not even wearing a turtleneck so it just it no, feels she's got a collar that doesn't mean she's got a turtleneck it's on. very different and it feels like a gigantic flavor fail right out of the gate like somebody definitely was like oh your name's turtleneck why don't you wear one and she was like no and they were like well then you don't get the fucking name and they they, they take her name badge off like no <laughs> you're nothing uh, now if her quirk has ever been mentioned i don't remember it so <laughs> she has weird hair uh so um Grand and Turtleneck are on a mission and uh, they are basically going to go and confront some of the people who have been, you know, fighting against villains and stuff. But they're just, you know, regular, normal, no no hero training people. Uh, Grand tries to convince them that, yay, we're here. You know, we're we're heroes and you should come with us to Ketsubutsu Academy. They're like, I have a mustache. So uh, he has a mustache. It's a different color than the rest of his hair. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, I'm just well, like it's starkly different. Like it he's is. dying the I guess the rest of his hair, or maybe that's his quirk is he has two different colors of hair. <laughs> uh, that's right, I'm a skunk man. <laughs> <laughs> I spew tox uh, stinky breath out of my mouth. It's awful. I hate it. <laughs> Every day is a curse. <laughs> uh they talk for a while, but essentially they're like we don't trust heroes, especially not none you kids know. Uh, so the two kids leave with Nakagane saying, that sucked. Serious suckage, yo. Uh, I have a small comment as well uh, in the, the page where we see them all, like all these dudes saying like, hey, when they came from my shop, blah, blah, blah. It appears that a uh, two color hair man uh, has a an Ewok 
as one of his uh, associates as well. So I just want that to be known. Just a fucking six foot tall looking Ewok with a with a spike gauntlet. It looks like. I mean, I've gotten used to seeing animal people in my hero academia. I so. know, but it's he's just a gigantic teddy bear person. It's a new walk the dog, moment. Well, remember look, the dog detective? <laughs> I mean, I yes, I do. Obviously, it's been a treasured memory that I hold in my heart every day, and I keep wishing that we'd get an actual series based off that. And then I remembered for the two popes that that did exist. It ran in like fucking Germany for fourteen seasons or some shit like that. Uh, <laughs> but I will also note that uh, Horikoshi is such a huge Star Wars fan that I'm actually kind of convinced this is supposed to be an Ewok reference. One of Mirio's signature moves is called Phantom Menace. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm or sorry. Originally it is. So Yeah, uh, I, I should correct myself because now I realize it's not Germany that it ran. Austrian. It was an Austrian series called Commissar Rex that ran for uh, 10 years originally and then came back for another seven. Oh, man, it ran for dog's ears. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so they get a call uh, at that moment that uh, villains are on the way. Uh, and they've been making reference during this time to a villain called Jailbreaker. Uh, but I don't know if that's another title for someone or if they're just wrong about who's coming. Because leaping and smashing through buildings like the Incredible Hulk comes muscular. That villain that uh, Deku faced years ago uh, who killed Waterhose. Uh, and uh, Waterhose, the, uh, you know, Dakota's parents. Is, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Everyone remembers them. Come on. Is, I got it. My money in the I prank. Wasn't being, my, I wasn't being unfair at all when I put one of them down. <laughs> my money in the prank, or veto in the bank briefcase is over there. So Look, I still have to justify. <laughs> uh, I will say to your point before i think they're referring to muscular as jailbreak now because they say jailbreaks in the area uh and i think jailbreak is a far superior villain name than muscular it is i agree but i don't know um that's my assumption because they say jailbreak is in the area and then this guy shows up so it'd be kind of weird writing to tease one person's going to be there and then someone different who's also a threat shows up it's a cool panel when he uh, when he arrives on the scene and is oh, like yeah. smashing through the building as he uh, taunts them. Uh, so Yo decides that uh, they need to split up, and he so tells her to get to Sensei and get us back up and evacuate the civilians. And he says, "I'm going to demolish him," probably trying to sound far more confident than he actually is. So. Uh, Nakagane gets back to uh, the civilians and they're like, we got to go and stop the villain guy with our uh, pipes and <laughs> various other blunt objects. And of course, she tells them, you've got to run. You can't possibly stand up to him. And one guy just goes, you can't, you ain't our boss. And she proves what a strong hero she is by letting him push her out of the way into the ground. <laughs> OK, so. uh before they can even get out of the building to even think about fighting muscular, however, uh, the fight's not going so well outside, and uh, Shindo has been pinned to the roof of the building uh, in the course of the fight. So, uh, Nakagane goes, 
Yo! Because that's his name, and it doesn't sound... It doesn't have a funnier connotation at all. Uh, so, Muscular's gonna kill this kid. Uh, Shindo tries to use his tremor ability to just send fluctuations through Muscular's body, and, but Muscular's just like, nope, I got 12,000 layers of muscle fiber acting as armor. You're not going to actually reach my actual body by trying to do that. So... Shindo just decides to unleash max force. He's going to go beyond and he unleashes a super tremor. And uh, he says, if there's anything heroes ought to have, it's a rock hard spirit that refuses to bend or break. Your brain will be a milkshake when I'm done. And it does nothing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wish I hadn't wasted that milkshake line on something. This doesn't work. (laughs) Muscular just ups his muscle armor uh, for that one move and endures it and gets ready to kill Shindo. The uh, men are like, we gotta go and save that stupid, weak-ass kid. And then a smash comes flying in from out of nowhere and knocks Muscular away from Shindo. And when the smoke clears, it's Deku. Not Izuku, because he's got his mask on, so he's Deku now. And uh, he just says, muscular, no wonder my gift from the fourth wouldn't shut up. And the outlines of his speech bubbles are thicker than before because he's dark Deku now. <laughs> I'll be great. And like muscular finishes it by saying, hey, I know that voice. And I really wish Deku was just like, no, you don't. I'm, I'm, I'm dark and edgy now. It's a different person. You've never met me before. Like, no, I remember you that dweeb from the, the, the training camp thing. No, I'm a super tough dude. I'm a super tough, edgy superhero. You don't understand. Uh, so Deku has come to save Shindo's life so much for that super popular character. Basically, now, I, now my hero fans know how Carrot fans felt a couple <laughs> chapters ago. In one it doesn't help that he's like rescued him, like scooped him up into like the bridal Princess pose. To, yeah, I was like, it's 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 certainly not like the the most uplifting way to save somebody. Uh, cause yeah, yo looks pretty lame right now. Um, if Deku has gotten a big power up, uh, recently, then I guess a good way to demonstrate that will be by having him kick muscular's ass. Somebody that he needed to, you know, ex- uh, go beyond his limits to defeat before. Uh, maybe he'll have a much easier time with him this fight. So, yeah, absolutely. I actually like this chapter quite a lot. Um, I think this was a pretty cool kind of return for Deku. I understand some people think it's very dorky, and I do understand that to a certain extent. It is a sort of dorky scene, uh, and very 90s edgelord tryhard in a way. Um, but I still like it. I think the scene where Deku just shows up is cool. So, I don't know. I was kind of pumped for it. And I think Muscular is just a really well-designed villain. Like, any of the times where he, like he transforms more and more. He looks so cool. Like his entrance feels like the Hulk when he shows up. Cause it's just yeah. this giant mass. And then when yo tries to melt his brain, he just becomes something that almost doesn't even look like it almost looks Eldritch or something like that. Cause yeah. he's just swallowed his head up in muscles. Basically. It's like a, a series of interconnected muscle cocoons. Yeah. There's no face anymore. It's great. I think the art was really top notch. It's it's a functional scene to 
say like, "Hey, Deku's back from this small time skip," and but it was effective. So. Yeah. All right, Nick. Weirdly, we're already on Eden Zero, so let's yes. talk about Eden Zero Chapter One Thirty Six. Goodwin. We get a big color two-page spread where we see all the characters with their different looks. There's a lot of blue and green in this crew. Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, going to be an issue eventually. Uh, they need to establish more unique color identity. So a lot of white as well. I should... Well, I mean, come on, you know, Moskoy is like eighty percent white. So yeah. <laughs> um. I believe that this is uh, probably to celebrate the debut of the anime which Almost is this certainly. season. So Yes. Uh, so, you know, here you go. Some cool designs. Uh, we even get a first uh, color page. Our first page, rather, is in all color, uh, where we are reintroduced to Goodwin, the gigantic cat man who stands up and everyone's like, wow, he's big. And Pino just says out loud, large cat identified. And it's like, thanks. Pino. No, no shit. Did you? <laughs> Thanks, Pino. <laughs> you had to see him to, to know, or <laughs> what if, like, when the Scouters were introduced in Dragon Ball Z, they were just that's a person. <laughs> oh, or like it—it's like like uh, fucking Vegeta's head gets punched straight off his body, and then that was like breeding's in. That's a strong opponent. <laughs> it's just blood shooting out of the stump on Vegeta's neck. <laughs> uh, wow, Vegeta. <laughs> I wonder how strong that guy was. <laughs> Give me a moment. Hang on, Scudder says pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he was real. He had a real good, strong straw hook to him. Uh, so Goodwin stands up, looks over everybody, and is particularly staring at Rebecca. And then he smiles. And there was a moment I was like, please don't let him be a creep. Please don't let him be a creep. And thankfully, he is not. He is actually a huge fan of hers. He's like, oh my god, are you Rebecca from the Alan Echo channel? Oh my god, seriously. I'm your biggest fan. I watch all your videos. And he's just really really excited about this um, um when we were introduced to this character trade my first instinct was oh no that oh. he's just going to be a joke character but during the course of this chapter we see multiple sides to him so with that established i want to say i'm actually quite happy with this because rebecca being a beekeeper has finally been portrayed positively uh, for once in the yeah. entire series. She may not get many views, but people were watching her videos. Yeah. So <laughs> that it came up as nice. And I, I actually do kind of enjoy the joke that everyone else, like, well, not everyone. Cheeky's actually very excited, but everyone else is just like, this is such a weird tonal shift. I did not like everyone's like, I can't believe she like that. But even the goon is like, I was who's like the cool calculated one was like, I did not expect this to be the way this conversation went. Um, so yeah, good one. Just just like, yeah. Uh, Cause she actually identifies. She's like, wait a minute, Oasis. Are you Al Neko? And he's like, yeah, that's me. I, I was, I've been the one supporting you all this time. She's like, Oh, thanks. So they, they have a nice moment. One of his lieutenants is like, Hey, what are you doing? You can't be giving away our money. And he's like, fuck you. It was my money. Stop bitching. <laughs> and then eventually they're like, Hey, wait, what about Laguna? And we actually like, pull the conversation back to what it was supposed to be uh where he's just like yeah laguna you abandoned us um 
there is a moment where Shiki tries to interject again and be like, he's friends with Laguna and Rebecca. So that means we're and, and uh, Weiss is just like, shut up. Just shut up right shut, now. <laughs> just shut up. We know what you're going to say, Shiki. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Goodwin ha- really just legitimately wants nothing to do with Laguna at this point. And there's kind of this tension that's a little bit absolved because Rebecca is there and Goodwin likes Rebecca so much that it keeps the situation from becoming directly hostile. But, you know, Homura has a moment of like, ah, this, you know, he's strong. His gang's strong. Yeah, we, we really don't know what to do here. We cut over to the Eden Zero and the rest of the crew is kind of just talking about the fact that they're like, oh, Laguna's from the Al Cosmos. We really don't know a whole lot about him. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Moscow, Moscow is watching uh, Violent Hentai, it looks like. I don't really know what this is supposed to be, but I just I find something sinister in it. Because that wolf still got that little sheep person. So, like, even though a big rock fell on the, the wolf afterwards, something bad's happening. And Moscow is just laughing hysterically. So, you know, serial killer vibes are, are going all off all over the place for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then he starts crying because the news comes on. And we get a news report talking about... I don't the- like being informed about what's going on in the world. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, basically gives us a heads up on the, some follow-up of Shora's big announcement that robots across the galaxy were to be killed. Or basically forced to leave. And hold on a second. Comixology always does this. We get like sort of a a wide variety of different things. Like an android's basically like, hey, uh, robots are trying to leave. Why? I don't know why fucking like machines could think. So what's that big dumb idiot trying to do? And then, you know, we we see like sort of a religious preacher being like, this is God's will. He's come to to destroy us for, for overreaching with our technology. We see an industry leader who's like, this is destroying the manufacturing industry. People have to understand that this is 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 government, you know, despotism and it's it's worse. We for some reason cut over to the YouTuber who's just like, who cares? This isn't my problem. Um, there's also a news reporter that's basically talking like what will become of the androids who are serving in our military and medical pa- capacities and Someone else saying, you know, they've become an indispensable part of our community. When they disappear, what will you do? And I was like, wow, this is what almost a generous portrayal of news anchors. <laughs> this this almost feels like Hero has his pulse on the world in a way that I have never seen from him before. And then I turned the page and two characters say, I've never seen anyone get so worked up over a news show. And I was like, nope, never mind. Hero has no idea what's currently going on outside his room. <laughs> He's never seen a human being before. If he thinks no one gets, uh, uh, you know, emotional over the news at any time. What are you guys so upset about? So somebody won an election. Come on. Who cares? <laughs> um, so we we cut back over. Apparently, this conversation has been explained to Goodwin. He's like, okay, I can sympathize with Nero. He he has to watch his regime and lose it because of his nitwit son. And they explain, like, yes, all link is going to be the thing that does it. We get an explanation for what all link is because the Al Cosmos is quite literally an ocean. Every few years, the ocean hits high tide, swallows up all the, the planets in the cosmos. And then with that aether and electricity, 
everything becomes connected. So that's the all link. That would be how it happens. And that's going to happen in three days. So they have to stop Shura before that point or all the androids will be killed. And it's actually, I think, a pretty creative world building scenario. So I, I quite like this detail mm-hmm. um, personally that, um, you know, having this time because it's a recurring event is is a cool idea. And, you know, it's a lot more imaginative use of the sci fi setting of the series than desert planet. Mod planet. So. <laughs> well, Nick, what are you talking about? We got so many memories on Forrester. Ocean planet. Me- remember it had the great food. All the great food you could find on Forrester. Um, uh, did that come up in the story in any way? Well, no. Couch but... Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Couch. Well, I mean, you also then have to say, has Couch been relevant to the story? In which case, No. Um, so it remains to be seen. Um, so Laguna basically is like, look, we have to stop Shura and Shiki has gravity magic. So he's our best shot at doing it. And, uh, Goodwin's just like, look, we don't need help from an outsider. It's not going to happen. Uh, we get a convenient enemy attack on the compound so that our heroes can kind of show off all of their cool abilities. And Shiki basically like one shots everybody. And now my pages aren't loading. But from what I recall, the chapter just ends with Goodwood being like, ho ho, that boy. Yeah, uh, he says this kid. Yeah. And he remembers the words that Laguna spoke. Uh, one, two, three, four, five pages ago. Uh, that if anyone can defeat Shura, it's him. Uh, so it's a good thing that uh, we got the uh, indication that he remembered that line. Yes, it's always one of those great flashbacks to five seconds ago. Yeah. So uh, this is a pretty all right chapter overall, setting the stakes for what's to come. I mean, it's it, Eden Zero always seems to have at least OK setups for its uh, proper plot arcs. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you, you know, add that add into that, you know, Goodwin seems like a pretty cool character. And uh, the bizarrely uh, nuanced uh, discussion that you were seeing from all the news reports about what it would mean for, you know, an android heavy society to suddenly, you know, kill all of its androids. Uh, So overall, that was pretty good. Yeah, I generally liked it. I think Goodwin has a strong start to being a cool character, and I hope we follow up on it and he doesn't end up sucking. Yeah. Uh, that about sums it up for me as well. I believe some people in the chat were saying he's no cat viper, but he's pretty okay. So, uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on then to the elusive samurai chapter 10. Uh, do I have, can I get to a second page, please? There it is. Yes. Chapter 10 on the run. 1333 as we get a color page for the elusive samurai here in chapter 10. Uh, usually a good sign, but uh, I think that uh, now that we've uh, we're a few weeks out, I think that we actually have some insight, some insight. I'm going to just say that yes. into how all the new series are doing, because people have also like like the table of contents for next week's uh, issue have also dropped. So that would have the placement of Nine Dragons Ball Parade, which sadly does not seem to be doing well. Uh, obviously these are, you know, it's impossible to tell for sure, uh, in t- until like the first volume sales, uh, figures start coming out and then you can at least get a, a pretty solid perf- idea of performance. But 
that doesn't seem to be doing so great. ITLC is not doing so great either. Which watch is? Uh, <laughs> well, which watch hasn't had its first real rankings yet either, I don't believe. I believe that its first one was this week. Was it? It's, it, would be on, it would be on chapter 7 this week. Lucis Samurai's chapter 10. Mm-hmm. ITLC would be chapter 9. Dragon Ball Parade is chapter 8. Or no, which watch was before Nine Balls Dragon Parade? Yep. Yeah, okay, never mind. Then we have gotten that one, yeah. So, there you go. Uh, yeah, well, so here's... Look, here's guys, <laughs> I'm an old man now. So, <laughs> what I say isn't funny is, in fact, funny. So, <laughs> Well, here's the thing. So, uh, Elusive Samurai is doing phenomenal. It's, it yes. seems to be... It seems, if nothing else, it has the utmost faith of the editorial staff, which is a pretty big deal to have. Um, I tell C, we're going to talk about it in a little bit. It's a dumpster mm-hmm. fire. It is rolling down that hill. Uh, Nine Balls Dragon Parade doesn't have a great start. It could change. Uh, Witch Watch, it could just be fine. Uh, it also has just immediately looked like it's turned hard into being a reverse harem, and maybe that's how it was always intended. And it has an established author, so that could also just mean it's a level of, like, editorial, like, we have faith in this series. So, you know, all these things could very easily change. I mean, I'd have to look back and see. I feel like uh, there are several other series that start off pretty rough that have hung around for a while. There's a chance that Nine Balls Dragon Parade, even though it's not ranking particularly high right now, does not mean it will go away immediately. Um, just by the nature of other things in Jump ending and it kind of surviving off cancellation. And I mean, we legitimately have Mission Yozakura family as a sort of example of if you can survive cancellation long enough, you can just kind of establish yourself. So no, Chris, not again. <laughs> I do, but I mean it like I'm just like that could be the path like that could be your entrance way. Just other stuff gets canceled. <laughs> Chris, no, people love Mutsumi. Stop! I'm not. I'm not saying anything against the quality. I'm saying it didn't rank particularly well for a while. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Same with Magu Chan. Magu Chan was really low for a while and then managed to get back up. Chris, no, people love Mutsumi. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Someone know. has to, or she should be in the fucking chapter every goddamn week. <laughs> um. We get this this color page we get, by the way, with Tokiyuki in the winged uh, kimono or whatever exactly you would call that uh, uh, attire looks so cool. Yes, it's 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 really beautiful. The art in this series is some of my favorite in Jump right now. It's just so good. So Tokiyuki is taking part in the archery contest against Satomura. Uh, he has two arrows left to overcome a four point gap between them. And Sunmore is threatening to just charge into him and knock him off balance off his horse. Uh, if whenever he tries to take aim. So at that moment, uh, Yorishige shouts out to Tokyuki saying you can't best him at marksmanship. So prepare your shots carefully while you flee. So Tokyuki is left to just kind of think about this and decide what to do. So, uh, he's moves his horse into action and starts to gain a little bit of distance on Satomura. And uh, he then looks behind himself and he's like, oh, I get it now. When I was aiming at the dogs, I was too nervous to properly see what was before me. But when I flee, my head clears and my field of vision expands. And 
he says, like, I've now seen his archery skills in action. And so I kind of know what to do based off of how he worked that into his horse riding. His upper body freezes the moment he loses his shot. And I'm too inexperienced to do that. The dogs are far away and move unpredictably, but his upper body is motionless as he charges from my blind spot. So then he gets a moment of insight. He's like, all right, so I'll do this. There's a moment when even I can win this. And he takes aim at one of the dogs. And as he's doing so, uh, Sadamune charges in and is going to knock him off balance. And as he does so, Tokyuki suddenly whirls around and instead starts to point the bow in his direction. And Sadamune is like, oh, he's doing Oshihineri, turning to shoot behind himself. And a uh, commentator priest guy is, starts to go, uh, of course, when he aims for a dog, Sanamune rams him from his blind spot. So he knows where to aim. So, but Sanamune is like, I mean, yeah, but he can turn around, but he, he can't actually get all the way around when doing that. There's a limit to how far the body can turn. So he just kind of starts moving to Tokyuki's left so that he can't twist all the way around to his right or I guess it depends on what direction you're facing. He can't twist his body all the way around because of the way that his arm has to go across his body. So Tokyuki realizes this and and he's like, I'm the elusive heir of the Hojo, so I can do anything on the run. And he removes one of his feet from the spurs, or I can't remember exactly what those are called on a saddle, the foot uh, mounts. And he just lets himself get a foot up onto the back of the horse and twist all the way around and his arrow finds Sadamune as he charges directly into Tokiyuki and the arrow hits him in the chest and knocks him from his horse. So Tokiyuki gets two points for this. So he's still behind. He's got one arrow left and Sadamune is on the ground and can't stop him. So, uh, People are like, oh, how did he do that? And Yoroshiga is like, well, he had a flash of inspiration and he used his balance and flexibility and executed an acrobatic shot. His potential blooms when he's on the run. Uh, and then Yoroshiga is like, in the future, this technique will probably get a flashier name that'll have more appeal with the shonen crowd. Okay. It's, yeah, yeah, you know. Would you like to tell us what that name is? <laughs> no. <laughs> I want you to think about dogs being shot some more. <laughs> so uh, we get some narration explaining that, oh, in the Parthian Empire, this is, you know, what made uh, their archers so, uh, so uh, formidable is that they would charge in and then flee and they would fire while they were on the run. To this day, history remembers the Parthians for their peculiar way of attacking while fleeing. So... Tokyuki seems like he's going to bear down on uh, Sadamune. Uh, and so he's like, oh, God. And he starts to cover himself up. But instead, Tokyuki just leaps his horse over him and then fires directly down into him in. How did the horse do this? Like <laughs> he's twisting his entire body while the horse just leaps upward into the air and he shoots a Parthian shot and the arrow comes down on Sadamune from behind, striking him in the ear. And 
that gives uh, Tokuyuki three points. And so those two shots total allow him to win the contest. So people are celebrating that Tokyuki's defeated Satomune. And uh, while Satomune is still staring stunned up at Tokyuki, clutching his ear, Tokyuki says, that's for the shrine maiden whose ear you shot. And then he probably thinks, actually, I just accident. It was purely by chance that I hit the ears. (laughs) But it is an extraordinarily cool line. Yeah, he saw an opportunity to say a cool line, and so he took it. Good for you, Tokiyuki. Mm-hmm. So, uh, after this, Yoroshiga congratulates Tokiyuki and uh, is like, hey, you know, this way we can develop more techniques together. Isn't this fun, fighting while fleeing? And we see that Tokiyuki learned fighting on the run. And there's, you know, a very, you know, video game RPG kind of graphic that comes up. And then Yoroshiga says to Sadamune, keep your promise now. Leave my territory. Never bother us again. Of course, this pisses Sadamuni off. And he's like, this is just a sport. I'll get you. I'm going to get come back and take your land. And they're riding off. He shouts really angrily at, at him. And it's um, they're kind of all mocking him because he says, I'm going to search for the remaining Hojo. And everyone's like, there's a Hojo right here. You fucking dumbass. <laughs> so, uh Shiga, of course, is really, really angry about this. Uh, and he's like, oh, who, who, who was this? He couldn't have been sure the boy would beat me. Besides, there is no fooling my gaze. That boy's demeanor was refined. In one so young, it suggests high birth. Could he be a surviving Hojo? Well, no. Yoroshige wouldn't put a Hojo right in front of me. What? What's going on? What the hell? And Yoroshige just kind of comments on this thing. He has good eyesight, but he sees so much that it distracts him. Essentially, he, you know, bluffed him into not understanding that Tokiyuki was right in front of him because, no, that's too obvious. That's too stupid. He wouldn't do that. So Yoroshige's got a little bit of, uh, you know, a gambler in him. So also, uh, Yoroshige is the one who spread rumors about there being Hojo's in his land because he's weird like that. Uh, And uh, so he says, if they have to look everywhere their search will be unfocused. Meanwhile, you and I will grow stronger. This battle requires you to advance even as you flee. You are already racing along the road to reclaiming the rule of the land. And uh, that's basically where the chapter ends. So, uh, how, cool. how dare you? There's also a joke where someone asks if Sadamune is like, uh, wait, can your eyeballs usually sweat? He says, yes, they can even secrete stomach acid, which is a hellish existence I can't even begin to describe. Uh, they just eat themselves. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't worry about that. Uh, what'd you think of this chapter, Nick? I quite liked it. Uh, the, at least in terms of, I like the way that the action played out. Um, I think that there's a little bit of a, any one of these chapters could be somebody's first chapter of the elusive samurai. So we kind of have to reiterate the idea multiple times, like every two chapters or something like that. But I get the impression we're eventually going to get past that. And maybe that'll stop because each time that it happens, it has a little bit less impact for me. Um, But I get the impression that once it's a bit more established, that's going to stop. And the other parts of the series I do quite enjoy. So Mm. I love this chapter. I thought this was a really excellent sort of uh, 
conclusion, it made uh, our hero look really cool. The Parthian shot looks awesome. It is a great one-page spread. I love his cool little line afterwards about the Shrine Maiden and how she's also there as well. Like, it just felt like it was a really effective chapter. I, I really, really just enjoyed it. And uh, Tokyo got to uh, win this battle against Sadamune while also leaving him alive so that, you know, he can learn more from him. Mm-hmm. So now I will note, I have I, I, I believe I have more to say about how much I enjoyed the chapter, but I specifically right. wanted to keep it short because I want to use I, Nick. I would like to bank that time into ITLC because whew, we have stuff to talk about, Nick. Chapter nine, Revenge. So we get a full uh, introduction to Akiraka, the chief of the police force. Not really, kind of. He's the chief of the first criminal investigation division. Uh, He's a mysterious figure. Very little is known about him, including his full name, which seems like a bad idea, you know, in a law enforcement agency. Whatever. Uh, He is shrouded in unsavory rumors and employs any means necessary to crack a case. So that explains how Risa is used by the police force, I guess. Anyway, he's pointing a gun at her and saying, I'm afraid you'll need to die. And Sakan's like, is this some sort of joke? Sakan is an idiot. So... Akiraka says, Risa, your arrest record alone makes you an excellent detective. I'm assuming he means the number of people she's helped to arrest. Also, she's never arrested anyone. I was going to say, yeah, I don't think she actually, because she always loves them to the point where they they submit themselves to the police. Also, your arrest record is usually your record of being arrested, which... (laughs) No, like Nick, she has been. So. No, Nick, this is a sports series now. It's all about the number of arrests you can tally up. Oh, God. So he says, that's why I've been able to use my power to cover up your problematic conduct. But this time, three detectives failed to catch a brutal criminal and one of them lost his life. Any more of this, my supervision will be called into question. So I'm sorry, but you need to be dealt with via murder. So Sakon starts to object and says, the police have been using Mizaiwe for their needs as well. And Nakiraka says, Sakon, you needn't worry. We can sweep this under the rug by having Risa take the fall. Consider your contract over, Risa. Thank you for all your service. Can you stand to go the painful route? And Risa says, if I'm to die, I'd rather do so peacefully, which Sakon is shocked by. So Akiraka says, well, good, because I also have some poison ready. Here, I have two pills, which will be a lethal dose, and I'll grant you a peaceful death. I completely forgot about this plot detail. This is such a... Okay. <laughs> what are you talking... How did you forget about this, Nick? I don't know. I don't know. I think that maybe my brain was trying to protect itself. So, uh, Akiraka says, for you to die from poison is rather ironic, don't you think? And at first I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? I was like, oh, right... Poison to be poison is her thing, right? Yeah. That's right. Okay, okay. So she, she I like to think she, he would just phrase anything as being ironic. He's like, being mauled to death by a saber-toothed tiger. Ironic, don't you think? You know, because <laughs> one of the villains that you fell in love with was Sabretooth. Yeah! <laughs> the X-Men villain. I bet you find him as sexy. It's like, no, not really. He oh. murdered so many people. Oh, wow, it's hot. 
So he tosses her the pills and a detail that I don't know why it amuses me so much. Like he tosses it like well short of her and it like rolls along the ground and hits her foot. I like to think it's not like the anime, like he closes his eyes and he just can't see. So he just threw the pills at a wall and he's like, ingest them. And it just hits the wall and has to roll towards her. Cause he's, he's such Gee, a- why don't you open your eyes to throw things? Because this makes me look interesting and menacing. But in his mind, he's like nailed it. Like he's, he's really stoic and cool in that moment. Everyone else is just like, just pick him up, just pick him up. So... Ms. Aoi picks up the pills and is like, I'm sorry, Mr. Sakon. And she's like, and he's like, no, don't do it. But she says, it seems unlikely that I'll become a cool hero now. <laughs> Your word's not mine. <laughs> she says, the stronger a person's poison, the more likely it is to corrode them. That is my advice to you. You'll need to take advantage on your own. Use any means necessary, but please make sure you don't die, Mr. Sakon. And Sakon doesn't say no don't take the poison instead he goes no i'll take half (laughs) (laughs) because two pills is lethal one pill won't have any side effects (laughs) like he doesn't even like slap the pills out of her hand or something he's like i'll also die with you or something like that she says he, so he says, if we're comrades, then responsibility, danger, even a lethal dose of poison, none of that matters. A lethal dose of poison does matter, actually, <laughs> if you personally take it. <laughs> All we have to do is overcome them together by getting our stomachs pumped when the time <laughs> comes. <laughs> this is my favorite exchange in Jump this week, because I have zero idea. They both... They both believe that they have just ingested at least half of a lethal dose of poison and like, we'll overcome it together because now (laughs) they get up into their fighting poses. They're like, before we die of poison, I guess we'll karate fight you to death. (laughs) Why didn't you just jump him and try and get the gun away from him? You didn't need to take the pills. (laughs) (laughs) No idea what either of them are attempting to do here. Like, she sees him take the pill and she's like, I guess I'll also take it, but then also get into my battle pose before this happens. Look, the half of the lethal dose thing still really gets me. It's like, oh, I'll take half and protect you. It's like, look, okay, so there are a lot of problems with Iron Man 2, right? Mm-hmm. Chief among them is the palladium poisoning that occurs to Tony, where he's got like a thing that shows him like percentage toxicity in his blood or something like that. But at least when that's happening, like the idea is that as it gets closer and closer to 100, he actually is suffering more and more like, you know, he's actually getting sicker. It's not like, oh, if I take half a cyanide pill, (laughs) it won't hurt me at all. (laughs) I'll be just as Nick. You can eat half a Tide Pod. Only the uh, only in the whole Tide Pod is where it gets bad, right? Yeah. So after this badass pose that they strike, Akiraka, one of his eyes twitches, which you know lets you know like maybe everything this says, this guy says, you shouldn't trust it because maybe he's a little crazy. He fires his gun several times into the ground, and then goes. 
ooh, look at that, and drops the gun. And then he says, silly me, I mixed up the poison tablets with candy tablets. And Sakon has, like, he swallowed the candy in shock when the gun was getting fired, and he's like, Ramoon flavor? I couldn't taste that at all when the tablet was in my mouth, but now that it's down my throat. (laughs) I also, Uh, like, the dude fires off, like, four shots into the building. Didn't need to actually have real bullets in the gun. Doesn't look like he was intending to actually kill anybody. So now the entire police department has to be like, why did a bunch of gunshots just go off? And then there's fours just fucked up. Killed those, killed that IOE bitch. I'm glad he done so. And I'm not going to go and look in that room to make sure he sees he doesn't need no help cleaning it up. I'm just going to assume that she's dead. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to worry none about it. That's what I would do. Wonder if I wonder if he I wonder if he made her take the take the poison tablets before he shot her. <laughs> so Akiraka says, "Ha ha ha! I was just joking about killing you. You fired a gun four times. After all, I couldn't very well kill my precious widowed daughter." And Ms. Iowa says, "Please let go of me, and I'm not your daughter." He says, "I'm your chief. I'm like a father." Okay, so <laughs> Nick, we're getting all these cool character details. Like he actually loves them and he loves Ioe so much he thinks of her as a daughter. And that's the whole reason why this stupid police detective Yandere detective concept was even thrown about, because this man is an idiot and is in charge of way too much of the police force. <laughs> Like, I, I know it was, like, a joke early on that I was like, oh, the only way this would work if it was, like, a wacky police chief who was just like, yeah, dairy detective, sure. Like, that they just into dumb concepts. I legitimately think that is this character. Like, if he saw a dog and he was like, I think that dog should fight crime, we would see him as a new member of the force that's about to be established. Just eventually this series just gets absorbed into hard-boiled cop and dolphin <laughs> the two police forces work together <laughs> uh so akiraka at that moment glares at sakon and rips his jacket and shirt off sakon's jacket and shirt I, I should note and says why are you in that wrinkled excuse for a shirt keep that on you'll be a laughing stock to the neighbors i'm your chief not your housekeeper and he starts ironing the shirt this is the part I forgot. This is a weird scene. <laughs> so at that moment, as I always says, that's the chief in a nutshell, the motherly type. I mean, okay, if you say so. <laughs> so after Sakon gets his shirt back, the chief says, I want to make sure you were someone capable of protecting Risa. And man, you just took half the poison. <laughs> and uh, so I guess, no, you're not. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you're the person to protect Risa, and instead you decided to die with her, so now I don't know what to think. (laughs) Is that like a a negative uh, percentage effectiveness? I think it might be. He's like, I expected you to try to grab the gun out of my hand, to fight back, to destroy the poison. I expected a lot of different things. I did not foresee you attempting to take half the poison, assuming that would have no ill effects on both of you. Anyway, I now feel confident leaving my daughter near your hand. 
Anyway, I tell C. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> so, oh, God. He says, You, Sakon, and you, Risaoi, and even myself, we are all to be removed from the first criminal investigation division. Because a lot of people don't like me. <laughs> and so they capitalized on your case, Risa, to devise a way to kick me off the force. But I managed to survive this by the skin of my teeth, thanks to the dirt I dug up on the top brass. Because you see, I exchange gossip with their wives. So I know how small their dicks are. And from that... I blackmailed them into not getting rid of me for making them feel as though there's a murderer uh, loving psychopath that's going to get them all killed. So anyway, I'm moving us to a new division. Uh, so that's in order to get the results we need. And so that was the condition that the top brass wanted in order for us to stay on the force. But no one here will acknowledge our results so officially, we won't exist. We will handle the most brutal of criminals, and if ever deemed unnecessary, the team will be disbanded without a second thought. We will exist, and at the same time, not. Much like an imaginary number. I! <laughs> and that's just fine. A team like ours only needs to focus on cracking cases. Naturally, I'll do what I can to protect you both, so go out there and show them you can do it. Your work will serve as the strength we'll need for that eventual day. The day we bring Hikaru Kagamino to justice. I'll bet he's naked somewhere <laughs> writing. <laughs> so, he goes on to say... For now, I'll get you started on a case that's currently developing. So let me hear clearly what you who don't exist, I tell criminals <laughs> C. <laughs> C is for criminals. That's good enough for me. Ah! <laughs> I, when we first found out the name of this series, I said to myself, wow, what a a kind of weird chapter or series name. I wonder what the explanation would be. And I did not expect it to be so confoundingly dumb. <laughs> and now it's delivered with the explanation of, look, everyone here really fucked up and we don't have the support of anybody. In fact, we would all be fired and maybe even charged with crimes. But because I dug up things we have one last chance. We're going to be moved to a division with less oversight and essentially carte blanche to do really whatever we want. <laughs> what a punishment this is. <laughs> but we won't exist. So who even really knows the level of ramifications we can suffer? And our group will be an imaginary number like the lowercase I and will tell criminal like they didn't come up with the C part. So it's just like, I tell criminals what our our goal is. Uh, and it's just a, a wonderful, like, collapse of a whole, like, structure of this series in one long speech. 
I, uh, I, I can't remember if I actually brought up early on saying, yeah, lowercase I is, you know, it's an imaginary. It's the square root of negative one. Um, I feel like I might have brought that up at, a, at in an early chapter uh, that we covered. But, you know, I we talk so much in this show. I don't remember everything yeah. that I say. Uh, but if I did, uh, I wasn't being serious. guys. <laughs> I didn't think that was it. I really, it really, it tickles me so much. I want, Nick, I, I want to explain my favorite bad uh, media thing trope of all time is when bad things put their stupid name. They do the stupid name drop. I, my, my, my go-to has always been I, Frankenstein, but I, Telsey, has maybe skyrocketed up this list of just an embarrassingly bad moment to shoehorn in your own stupid yeah. title. I mean, someone in the chat said earlier, uh, I mean, Time Paradox Ghostwriter had a better explanation for his title name. Time Paradox Ghostwriter, like, that tells you what the series is, like, in its title. Compared to this, that's, you know... King no, Kong versus Godzilla. Like, I was, I was going to say, but no one actively in Time Paradox Ghostwriter would say, huh, it seems like we're really in a Time Paradox Ghostwriter, if you know right. what I mean. Like, no one said that. Oh, yes, it's dumb in the same way, but this title thing is so weird. Okay, so anyway, to get back into it, Aki Raka tells Sakon and uh, Mizawi, who, by the way, have not agreed to this arrangement. <laughs> He says, this will be our debut, the debut of the Eye Investigation Division. And then we get a arc title drop <laughs> saying, Eye Investigation Division, case file number one. And I was waiting for there to be a slash of one next to this. <laughs> Telling eyes. I don't even remember if I read the rest of this chapter after <laughs> this whole stupid thing. I think I just assumed that was the end of the chapter. But there's four pages left. Yeah. So <laughs> we cut to the next day. Um, there's a hostage situation at a bank. Mm -hmm. And the Tokyo Metro Police First Investigation Division Chief, I guess the new division chief, Jackson Hamaguchi, yes. which is quite a name. Is like, what's going on? What's the meaning of this? And Ari Akiraka is there and says, Hey there, fine weather, isn't it? Here's some food. Eat it. And then he's like, what's the big idea? What's she planning? Is she going to run away with the perp again? And Akiraka says, this may come as a surprise, but... And then we cut over to the bank robbery, and the bank robber has narration that says, I'm the bank robber. Thanks. Then, over to a dead person with blood coming out of their chest saying, that's a dead body. And I'm not the one who shot him. And Akiraka says, she's actually arrested him. And the bank robber says, this hostage lady freaking killed him. <laughs> and Ms. Aoi is pointing the gun at the corpse and then she turns and holds the gun up next to her face and goes, wink. <laughs> I want it. I know it's like uh, some kind of trick or something, but I really don't want it to be that I just fucking lost it and shot some guy. 
And this is the first, it's their first mission, and it's Aki, what, Akihara is his name or whatever. He's oh. just, he's just sitting back, and he's like, perhaps this was a mistake. <laughs> like, on our first mission, my very unorthodox secret police team completely exploded. Like, the dog cop is over biting some guy's arm off, like, ow, ow! Seikon got locked, like, stuck in a honey pot or something like that. He's like, maybe I shouldn't have filled a police squad with goobers. Ah, <sighs> uh, great series, 10 out of 10. ITLC is fucking super cancelled, by the way. <laughs> like, we haven't gotten uh, results back from it, but, um... I'm pretty confident that this is the series that's not lasting to past 20 chapters. We'll see. Yeah. Magachan got a destruction chapter 37. Uh, Ren and Ruru have gone out with Naputaku and Magu on a little uh, picnic to uh, watch the uh, the Sakura blossoms, uh, Sakura petals blossom. Uh, chapter 37, flowers of chaos in full bloom. Uh as whenever the flowers fall, Naputaku and Magu are like catching them, like kids playing in the snow, catching snowflakes, basically. Uh, Oneris briefly shows up. Izuma's also there. She's recording the proceedings as as well because she's annoying and nosy like that. Uh, Naputaku and Magu start competing to gather the most flower petals so that they can come so that they can claim dominion over the flower petals. And they basically pile themselves in as if they're playing in autumn leaves. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Oh gosh, I've forgotten his name. The one who looks like a kid uh, is watching everything from a distance and is said and says, this is why I hate lowly humans. Uh, then, uh, Everyone's hungry, so Naputuku is like, I brought my greatest culinary masterpiece! And he's got a multiple-layer bento. Uh, and he says, Behold! The first layer is rice flour dongo! And Naruto's like, Oh, that's perfect for flower viewing. The second layer is mugwar dongo! And the third layer is mitarashi dongo! And I was like, You just made three different types of dongo? And Ren's like, yeah, he, he he was really happy after I taught him how to make it, so he just made a bunch, which that that sounds about right yeah, to me. That so. sounds kind of adorable. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can see him doing that. So, uh, the feedback that he gets isn't very good because he's like, oh, behold, how great it is! And, and Izuma's like, it tastes like grass. And Magu says, the mucus-like dripping, drippy substance skewered on a stick makes quite the atrocious offering. Not very good. Poor Naputaku. Uh, they're looking at the flowers. Uh, Ruru kind of equates it to like, it's like a picnic. Uh, it might not seem like a particularly important event, but experiencing the changing of the, of the seasons with everyone is the best part about it. And it's fun having everyone together. Aww. Honestly, that could have been the chapter right there for me. But yeah. there's more to it. Uh, some of the Donga gets stuck on Uneris's, uh pigeon minion person. And uh, so Ruru goes off to grab some water so that they can wash the bird off. Uh, at that moment, Muscar, uh, the other pillar that has been freed, approaches Ruru while she's on her own. And uh, so he says, she's like, oh, hey, you were the kid who was good at skiing. And he's like, I tried to get Magu to join me so we could rule the world. Do you remember that? Do you remember I did that? Yeah, I was looking at the flowers with Magu. You can join us if you like. No. I hate humans. 
and I hate the lowly human ritual of flower viewing. And he just kind of like talks about how stupid the whole thing is and how this makes humans stupid that they do something so silly. And then Rue's like, okay, you don't want to go see flowers then. What? No! No! That's what I said! Anyway, I should be with Magu so that we can rule the world. It's like, why, 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 why are you walking away from me? Yeah, I gotta get back to everyone else. Why doesn't she take me seriously? I wear this cool cult hoodie and everything. So, he decides to ruin the flower viewing by whipping up a storm, a literal storm, and blowing a bunch of stuff away. And he's like, you are worthless everyday lives are as fleeting as these flowers. And a tornado starts to strip the flower petals off of the trees. Uh, it's going so strong that even some of the smaller members of their crew are starting to get taken up by the tornado. Uh, and uh, Muscar says, if you want me to stop the wind, unleash your destruction, Magumanuaku. But if the others witness your power, they'll probably become consumed with fear. Uh, Magu, meanwhile, is very light, so he's being blown around in the wind. So he says he has an idea, and he says, "Grant me offerings to Ruru." So she tosses all the dongo to to Magu, who eats it, and then he explodes into a bunch of morphalaxes, uh, which form new tree. Blossom flowers, kind of. Yeah, there's a giant. There's a giant leafy magu on the trees now, essentially. And Muscar thinks that this is really weird, and he has no idea why everyone's reacting to it so positively. And he's really upset with Ruru for causing all of this and for changing magu. And uh, yeah, that's about that. That that that's about it. Um. Mm-hmm. Ren asks, like, wait a minute, you ran into an e- that evil god from before, Ruru? Are you okay? What was he like? Oh, well, he's a straight man character. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-bum. Hey! <laughs> so, not a huge fan of this chapter, I'm guessing? It's okay. Yeah, I just don't fine. have very strong feelings about it. So. Yeah. I, I feel quite the same. I do like the creativity of Magu becoming a giant cherry blossom tree. And being like, everyone worship me now. Like, that was kind of like a cute, funny thing. Um, but then I thought it kind of had a lot of the punch taken out of it by the line of like, oh, Muscar is just a straight man character. Like, I got that. But saying it out loud, I think, is the wrong way to execute that character. Let's go on to Nine Dragons Ball Parade. Chapter 7. A New Step. So... Uh, they have, uh, put those through- balls in me. That's everything okay. needs, uh, an opening, right? <laughs> Ryudo has just, uh, asked, to, uh, Surugi to reconsider his decision to not play baseball by offering to, you know, help him around the shop and stuff like that. And he says, part of baseball is that we all share each other's burdens. What a precious boy. And, uh, Azukita and uh, Karin are both like, oh yeah, we-, we can help you out too. If we all work together, you'll have time for baseball. So. Sarugi is moved by this, and they're like, why would you do that? And they say, obviously, we really, really want to play baseball with you. And uh, if that's all it takes, it's a small price to pay. So Sarugi thanks them and says, well, I'm not worthy, but I will channel this gratitude into my batting. To get Kokoryuzan to Koshien, that's a promise. And we get this big old graphic saying, new Nine Dragons member, Yoshitaka Sarugi. 
uh, with all of his, you know, positions and characteristics and stuff listed as there's a really cool visual with like uh, there there are like post-its going posted onto a big board that have their faces on them. It's very, very charming. Mm hmm. So the next morning comes. It's still dark out is, is how early it is when they go to uh, help out at the shop. Sarugi is actually surprised to see them there because like, oh, wow, you, you guys kept your word. But uh, Green says, hey, yeah, we got this. Uh, and so they've got to like move a bunch of boxes of stuff around. Uh, Azukita sees Karin struggling. Uh, and is like, hey, hey, be easy with that. But Karin says, it's OK, Azukita. I'm working the inner muscles that are absolutely crucial to man the infield. And Azuki is like, yeah, but we don't really need you to do that because <laughs> you're not a player. Whatever. Let her work out the yeah. way that she wants to. So uh, so they move up the boxes. They stack the items in, inside the store. Uh, Ryudo kind of stacks them haphazardly. And then Azuki just stacks them nice and straight. But then Surugi comes by and says, no, 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 you got to th think about the way the customer is going to do it. You got to actually have them slightly recessed as you stack them up, uh, which is just a nice little detail. You know, again, establishing stuff between them. There's, you know, the guy who knows what they're doing. And then you've got Azu and Ryudo's two different approaches to things. So uh, after they've moved everything, everyone takes a little bit of a break. Uh, and then Azu says, OK, hey, I've got I've got a schedule. So, you know, in the morning. We can, you know, help out, use the extra time to practice, and then we can take turns staffing the shop and all this stuff. And Ryuta's like, you arranged the schedule in one night. And Azu says, it was fun because he's a nerd. And I love that. So uh, then they're like, yeah, and, you know, I'll staff the shop today. So, Surugi, you can go to practice. And Surugi's like, yeah, I get to practice. He's happy about this. Hooray. Surugi's dad shows up. And uh, he's, uh, you know, kind of not putting a lot of weight on uh, one of his uh, feet. And he says to Sarugi, who, who are these people? Because obviously Sarugi did not go over this plan with his dad. Karina introduces herself. She gives him one of her business cards. And then, you know, when Sarugi's father realized what's going on, he's like, are, are you playing baseball again? And Sarugi's like, yeah, these, these guys offered to help at the shop. And with the time we save, I can play baseball again. And they all say, yeah, we'll do a good job. We're hard workers. We'll be fine. And so Surugi's father is surprised with this. And he's like, it seems like you found really good friends. So what the hell are you thinking, you idiots? And everyone's surprised by this because his father says, did you forget what we talked about last year? I told you not to worry about my leg. And what did you say to me? You said, I'm not worrying about you. I'm just tired of baseball. That's all. You just rest. You kept saying that over and over again. So you really were just taking pity on your old dad. And now you're going back to on what you said and burdening these people. That's not just dumb. It's weak. But that's okay. You're just a kid. Making dumb mistakes is okay. You go on and be the kid and let me be the grown up. And he gets into some sandals. And Surugi is really worried because, like, oh, no, is his foot. But he's like, no, it's fine. Look, I can get around just fine now. I'd never missed a day of rehab. So, Yushitaka, you can leave the shop to me now. So, that kind of simplified things quite a bit. But it's a nice little exchange, I think, that uh, Surugi has with his dad. So, Yeah, it's a pretty good exchange. So, it sort of solves everything and makes it... Because it was going to be weird, like... 
every time they do practice, just one of them won't be there, essentially. But yeah. I get the impression that they will probably come. I think that they actually say that they will come by and help out. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Korean says after they leave, like, yeah, yeah, we'll help them stock the shelves and stuff. But, you know, all of them coming by and moving a bunch of things means that, yeah, they'll not have one person just be out of practice now. So. So they do that and they're like, OK, so let's meet up after school now. And uh, they, uh, you know, meet up after school for the first real beginning of the not, the new nine dragons they practice together and we just get this little collage of them practicing and it's nice and uh then uh rio's like all right well i'm tired after all that but azakita says like we still have an important item to take care of we need to get our next recruits so the four of them sit in for a meeting together azu has handouts for everyone because he's a nerd uh and uh so he says we've this is, these are the people we've currently got. So what do you think the next player that we, that we is that we need? And everyone says, shortstop. So their next move is to try and get a shortstop. They give a brief explanation for how important the position is. And uh, then Rita's like, do we have any good candidates? And Aza says, well, yeah, but... Uh... So they go to see this uh, potential recruit. This long-haired, long reddish-haired kid named Rinojo Tsubaki. And they say he moves really agilely. He's very talented. Uh, they go to check him out. Karin's got her disguise box with her. Yep. Even though the others are in the open. Hey, she has Maybe. her strategy. It also, I don't, I can't tell, but it almost looks like she's also looking through the binoculars the wrong way. Or if not, the two side, the two ends are just very close in diameter. It looks like. Whoa, he's so far away. <laughs> oh, my mistake. <laughs> That's why she needs the box. You know, she's like, I gotta, I, I gotta post up from really long ways away. So they're marveling at how impressive he is, but then. Uh, there comes a moment when uh, Tsubaki tries to throw out a runner. And the uh, umpire erroneously calls the runner safe when they're actually out. And immediately, Tsubaki's teammates are like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And uh, he goes over to the umpire. It's like, you hack. How is that safe? Just because I'm way better than just no reason to give him preferential treatment is yelling in his face. And immediately, the umpire is like, you're out of here. Just throws him out of the game immediately. And uh, Azu explains he was recruited by a lot of teams, but they all dropped him due to his problematic behavior. So this will be the next challenge that they have to overcome. I imagine that convincing Tsubaki to play with them won't actually be that difficult. It'll be a matter of we need this guy to, you know, not get himself thrown out of games. Yeah. So I actually like this a lot because I mentioned before that it was like I'm more interested to see that they don't all have like oh, sad social life or home life situations that mean they can't do it. And more just like, look, this guy's not picked up by another team because he's really obnoxious and frustrating and could potentially cost your team the game or something like that because you might just get thrown out so i do like that we're getting a different sort of player here um this player is also probably supposed to be a lot of the comic relief of the series if i recall he's the only other member of the team that actually showed up on the introduction cover page so mm. um i think there there's a lot probably riding on this character mm. 
That would make sense if uh, he would be one of the more prominent uh, members of the team if uh, that were the case. Yeah. I am trying to pull up the chap- the uh, first chapter. And, yep, he was. Yeah, so this is everyone who was, they've, uh, we've now met everyone who was on that uh, two-page splash. So. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Mashal, Nick. Mashal, mashal, mashal. Magic and muscles. Magic and muscles. Magic and muscles. Chapter 56, Mash Burn Dead and the Visionary of Fire. So fire! I, fire! I had to remind myself who this was. This is Caldo Gehenna, the fire cane on the, the cover spread. This is the, uh, we met him back when we were kind of introduced to all the different uh, canes and everything like that back when Mash was under mm-hmm. his trial. Uh, I did not remember when I first saw him, so, you know, that's always a good sign. Uh, but we intro- we start the chapter with uh, Margaret basically kind of being intimidating, saying, I'm looking forward to the next test. And Mash is like, has a moment, like a, like a little effect goes off. Whoosh! Everyone's like, Mash, what's wrong? Mash is like, Mike is warning me. Finn's like, Mike? Oh, your pectoral muscle. So, yeah, a little build up to the idea. What that- a good friend Finn is. He yeah. remembers what Mash calls his muscles. <laughs> Uh, so we cut over to uh, Wahlberg and then Gehenna, who's over there, and is just like, ah, yeah, this, this is probably where the winning streak is going to come to an end, because the only reason Rain became a visionary in his second year is because Margaret did not choose to participate. You know, I have to examine everybody, and in my opinion, the surest candidate for Divine Visionary is Margaret Macaron. Uh, I, I witnessed, you know, his performance and his seconded is truly. And Wahlberg just goes, mm, it's not true. And uh, you know, again, it's just like, ah, oh, you were agreeing with me under normal circumstances. Is that right? It's like, you really have a lot riding on this boy. I have yet to see what makes him worthy of drawing so many eyes. And he thinks Macaron is a fitting candidate for Divine Visionary. I doubt Mushroom Head has the power to compete. The difference between them is too great. We cut over to uh, one of the waiting rooms where Margaret is just sitting. And I don't know. I think this is Tomato Moore or something like that. <laughs> it's just like, Mushroom Head made a fool of me in the first round. He'll pay for that. Hey, uh, you need any help, Margaret? I could I could sneak in like a laxative into to Mashal's drink or something like that and then show him who's boss. And immediately, like with a flick of his finger, Margaret sends him spiraling across the room. And uh, he just says... Next time you try to spoil this for me, I'll kill you. Got it? Uh, people are saying that's not more tomato, so I feel bad. I couldn't remember which goofy... And his name's not worth remembering, Yeah, guys. come on. Need to have one. Uh, and then Margaret says, that goes for you too, Order Maddle. And we see Order is there. And he just says, all right, well, do the job, and I'll stay quiet. So we get a little bit of an intimidating thing there, and, yeah, cool things. Um... Then we get, <laughs> yeah. We, we cut over to another waiting room where Mash is hanging out, and he has a spotlight on him, and he's just started talking to the camera. And he says, "Why do I train so hard?" You ask. Originally, it was my pops who got me started. It was hard work and tiring. I hated it, but despite all my complaints, I kept adding weights. Now, I take pride in myself. So you want to know why I lift dumbbells? It's because they're there. And then it cuts over 
and Dot is playing a violin, and Mass just continues, why do humans have arms? So we can lift dumbbells. Why do we have legs? So we can deadlift dumbbells. He's saying this to nobody. It's just the two of them. It cuts over. Fucking Lemon's doing the same thing. She says, why? Well, Finn says, no one is listening to Mash talk. He's just talking to himself. It cuts over. Lemon's there. She's doing the same thing, explaining, why am I an emotional burden, you ask? I never wanted to be one, but he overcame my whole world, my happiness and sorrow. <laughs> and that's how I found myself embracing my role as a dependent. So why am I a burden? Because he's there. And Finn's just like, this is stupid. And then Lemon and Dot reenact the box art to La La Land for him to be like, could you love me? And she's like, no. And Finn or Dot is upset. And, and <laughs> Ash's alarm goes off. And he's like, time for protein. Wind up <laughs> clock. <laughs> goes off. He's like, time for protein. <laughs> and when you, when you physically describe this scene out loud, it sounds fucking insane. Because it leads to nothing. The chapter just ends with Gehenna showing up and having a conversation with him. We just got like four different pages of characters being really, really stupid. Well, Finn goes, why am I friends with these people? (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So Gehenna shows up. It's like, hey, you caught my interest. You want to play a little game? Mash says, no, I'm on a break. Uh, and they're like, look, uh, I'm the head of Magic Talents Administration. I mean, everyone joining the Bureau gets expected of me. And if I don't like what I see, then you might not get to be Divine Visionary. So I'm just the head of Talent Relation. Bash is like, okay, I'll do it. I'll play. And they're like, all right, well, what's the game without a prize? If you beat me, I'll grant you a pass on this test. Wow, sweet, free pass. So what game were we playing? You look, you lose. And Mash is just like, that game is fine by me. And we see him just like spin like cartwheeling his fingers around, <laughs> essentially. And that's how the chapter ends. Mash is getting warmed up for a very uh, high stakes game of you look, you lose. I find it refreshing that Mash did not say, no, I want a fair fight like everyone else. He's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. I want that I want that pass on this test. It would be really- so, look, my very my ability to be accepted by society at large is at stake. I will take any, any advantage I can get, sure. <laughs> oh, man. This is a fun chapter. It's very weird, uh, but there's a lot of cool bits in it. I think that Mash will, despite having you know, fun action and weird uh, out there jokes is at its strongest when it just has weird character moments. Uh-huh. Um, not and not just the funny ones. I really like the bit as well with with Macaron, who, despite, you know, being the villain of this arc, at least the the four the foremost villain um has that no i want to you know win under my own strength side to him it's uh nice to have that in conjunction with his ruthlessness to uh really uh let you know what he's about yeah i i thought that was a really cool moment it's you know kind of a nice honorable character to a certain extent um 
again, we kind of get a little bit more of like the post build up lore to be like, okay, I know we showed Rain looking super cool using his Bankai and everything, but we need to reestablish that that wasn't a way to make Margaret look bad. It's actually more important to get, you know, to reestablish Margaret actually might be the stronger of the two of them, just doesn't have the fucking Bankai yet. Um, I also just like the, the it, like, it's a little frustrating, but I kind of like the earnestness of Lemon basically saying, I'm an emotionally worthless, or not emotionally worthless, but I'm a worthless character to this story who's only here to be dependent on MASH, and it's just like, cool, just be on Front Street with it. You're just girl character in this series that's a little frustrating, but at least you're one of the people telling it like it is, I guess. Yeah, I think that I prefer this to a character where you're supposed to go like, oh, yeah, they're going to be cool now. And it's like, no, no, I just, I just did this one time and yeah. that's it. That's all that they're going to ever get to do. It's um, I would always prefer to have, you know, a female character that actually contributes to the story. Yes, if they're that would be cast. significantly better. But but uh, at least you're not yanking me around. I'll give you that yeah. much. It's just a, it was just such a dumb, weird, stupid chapter, and I kind of appreciated getting that after like a relatively big sequence of intense chapters with everything with Carpaccio. We need a little bit of a break. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Ayakashi Triangle, chapter thirty-eight, Shmeguroshka and Ungai Kyo. So, uh, Suzu and Matsuri got brought into the mirror world by the appearance of a second Ayakashi that is trying to assist Roshka in uh, her attempts to become the king of Ayakashi. And uh, so uh, they're looking around and like the room is backwards and stuff. Uh, they Matsuri can hear Suzu's family talking through the mirror, but they're not on the other side. The mirror world is established to be made up of only scenery. So it's a great place to hide and there are no mere versions of people within it or anything like that. Uh, Roshka calls Suzu and Matsuri out into the open and says, playtime's over. We're going to settle this. Ungai Kyo is standing there. It's well floating there beside her. Uh, and uh, they, she, they say, this is going to be a battle to claim the king of Ayakashi's throne. A snowball fight. So... Maybe these villains aren't as bad as they were worried that they were going to be. Roshka says that uh, if they can hit her just once with a snowball, then they'll win. Uh, but we can hit you as many times as you want. And so Shiro Gai is like, that's giving us a huge advantage. But Ungaikyo says, well, that's all to give you the bitter taste of despair. And Susan's like, and a snowball fight. I mean, they didn't say what kind of snowballs they were going to use. Maybe, maybe they peed in some of them. You know, you don't know. So, anyway, Roshka can just launch a flurry of snowballs from her hand, just like as a default power. So that's no good. Matsuri tries to respond by throwing a, a snowball, but it just goes right through Matsuri. Uh, not not through Matsuri, but through Roshka, because Ungai Kyo can control reflections and project Roshka. Anywhere and any way that they please. Uh, and uh, Matsuri starts to realize, oh no, it's really cold here. And my ninja gear can maintain my body temperature to a, to, to a certain extent. But the more that Suzu gets pelted with snowballs, the worse off she's going to be. She might catch a cold. That's the stakes. She might catch a cold. 
Uh, Shiragane, grow some more fur. He's fine, too. Uh, they try to throw some snowballs, and eventually a snowball hits both Ro- Roshka and Ungaikyo in the head, because Master just used calm formation and determined which one was the real one. He's dealt with illusions like this before. It was nice and easy. So Roshka starts pouting and says, Do over! And Master's like, You said if we hit you once, we win. And Roshka's like, Well, this is to make up for trying to melt me in boiling water. It's like, That was a bath. It wasn't going to melt you. So Roshka starts to go, I was like, Well, I guess I did promise that you would win. And Ungaikyo is like, well, no, come on. Our plan to become the king of Ayakashi will be ruined. And Roshka says, well, yeah, but it was your jutsu that she saw through. This is kind of your fault. Like, well, no, no, hey. And so they start arguing and Roshka starts to tear up and be upset because her friend is yelling at her. And we get a little bit of, a, of an establishment over how they kind of befriended each other. And they agreed to, you know, help Roshka become the king of Ayakashi. It seems like it was all Ungaikyo's idea. And uh, now Roshka's upset. So she grows ice horns and uh, summons a giant deer demon golem of ice. And she's upset at Ungaikyo, so she's going to attack them with it. And uh, it starts wrecking the mirror universe scenery and stuff. Uh, Ungaikyo is like, oh no, help me, Shirogane. And Shirogane is like, fuck you. Um,. It's everything's going to be okay, no matter how much of the mirror world gets uh, destroyed. But Shiragane explains that that girl has a lot of power, but she can't control it. If she continues this rampage, she might use up her Ayakashi energy and disappear. And Suzu's ass is very upset about this and says, we need to stop her, Matsuri. It's and- fucking shameless. Like, it, every so often there are panels in this series where you're just like, good God. Like hours, hours were spent detailing how, like, it's a little nauseating, to be honest, at points. I'm just kind of worried about how uncomfortable she must be in that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I I actually think she might have had like a a medical procedure done to replace the upper part of her uh, legs and, and like pelvis area with bike shorts. There's no actual skin or anything like that anymore. That is just her physical, like, outer layer at this point. It's just, a, it's just like, it's just plastic modeling now. Yeah. So, uh, it's time for Suzu to be, to be you know, um, inspirational. Uh, she says, I want to help. Master says it's too dangerous. But Suzu says, I'm happy that you protect me. But if I keep relying on you, I won't grow. And I get it now. She's an Ayakashi, but at heart, she's like a little girl. She's like a little girl, which is why it was important we see that her clothes can be melted off, because she's like a little girl. Okay, so Suzu says, that's why I have to guide her. After all, I'm the king of Ayakashi. And she gets a cool back-to-back pose with Matsuri. And uh, so they're going to go and try and stop Roshka for her, for her own safety. So that's the end of the chapter. Yep, it is a chapter. It's... Yep. It's uh, further establishing a couple of characters that are almost certainly going to become recurring characters after this. Yeah. So, All right, Nick, let's talk about Black Clover page 287 Day of Atonement. Real quick, mention the two-page color spread, which I actually like quite a lot. I think this, <laughs> nice. uh, I think this color scheme actually makes Asta's devil form look significantly cooler. Kind of has like a red eyes, black dragon thing kind of going on that I like. 
Uh, as for the chapter itself, who boy, let's see how fast we can do this. Uh, so we get a flashback to go back to uh, when uh, or Yami essentially recruited Nature Boy Flair to join the team. And they sort of have a moment <coughs> at uh, Morgan's grave. And Nature Boy Flair basically is just like, no matter what I pay for my sins, I can't forgive myself. I can't let myself be praised or stand in the spotlight. I can't and must not be like Morgan. I'll destroy evil from within the shadows until I die. So dark. <coughs> He's very, very edgy. He surpasses his limits and activates two devil unions at the same time. Um, two types of magic at the same time. Oh, I don't think anyone can do that in this series. So it's a pretty no. big deal, Nick. Um, basically, he says, like, all right, I'm going to cast a spell that's going to unlock you. I'm going to cast a spell on the same level as a supreme demon sacrificing myself. I'll lock you inside a world of shadows. The monument of atonement. Come play an endless game of tag with me. Uh, and they get stuck inside this book. And then there's like a seal on the ground. And then it just explodes, and he's like, ah, shit, I suck. <laughs> and there will be no escaping from this prison. Oh, no, they escaped from the prison. <laughs> uh, they just say, like, hey, we have generic devil fire magic and ice magic. It's very, very strong. And uh, you have this moment of, of nature before being like, even shadow and light and even invisible concepts uh, 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 uh. and then Asta shows up and slashes them and that's kind of the end of the chapter as Asta's like what are you doing to my vice captain anti-magic it's the one thing that beats everything what but my fire magic slash ice magic can free burn slash freeze everything not mine <laughs> <laughs> not if I just hit you with my sword first yeah it's a good thing all of my power base is built around getting specifically as close to you as possible to do it immediately. Yep. So all that happened. <sighs> yeah, I've. You know what? Instead of me telling you about how I felt about this chapter of Black Clover, go to a previous episode. Not one of the ones from last year, but, you know, this year or, you know, 2019 or before. And uh, play my reaction to any Black Clover chapter, and it'll tell you why I didn't like this. It's for reasons that I've said over and over again, and honestly, I didn't dislike it enough to even really go into detail about it. It's just, I didn't really care for it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. One Piece, chapter 1008, leader of the Atamayama Thieves Brigade Ashura Doji. Last time we were left with, oh my gosh, Odin has appeared before the nine, uh, the Akazaya Nine. How could this possibly be? It's not really Odin. That's how. Uh, although we do have some kind of heart tugging moments of the Akazaya really do want to believe it's Odin. Almost all of them do. The only one who doesn't seem to believe it as they're all tearing up and saying, yes, yes, we'll join you, Lord Odin, is Ashura who doesn't believe it and says he's got to be a fake. And everyone's like, come on, he's right, he's right here. And Raizo says, yeah, remember what Lady Toki said, Kinemon. But Kinemon, you know, mankind cannot return them to the past. But Kinemon says, Lady Toki had the power to go into the future. But Lord Owen died that day. If he were to travel to the future, that truth would never change. But, but, 
And as Kinemon is starting to protest, he's turned away from Odin, who draws his sword. And Ashura says, I know how you feel, but you have to open your eyes, Kinemon. And he punches Kinemon in the face to get him out of the way and slashes Odin's cheek. And when he slashes it, it just it peels away and leaves a little gap in his cheek with no blood. And after that, the fake Odin stabs Ashura right through the center of his body. And Ashura says, we all feel the same way. We all wanted it to be him. And of course, it's been summoned by Conjuro. Uh, the only person who knew Odin's presence and mannerisms enough to be able to recreate them accurately. Uh, and so uh, the Odin double goes, no, don't be stupid. I am Odin. After having, you know, just stabbed one of his closest allies through the torso. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm Odin, guys. Come on. Come on. Uh, Kiku apologized to Ashura for failing to finish off Kondro at the battle before. And Ashura says, I don't blame you. No one dies in one piece. Oh, he's, no, I don't blame you. He was our friend. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. You don't want to kill your friend even if they betray you because you hold on to the good the good feelings. So so they demand to know where Kondro's body is. Uh, but Kondro says through the fake Odin, controlling it remotely saps so much strength. And I am deeply wounded. I expect I will die in this battle. But I will die having pierced the very heart of the Kozuki clan as Kurozumi Kondro. Uh and they realize that Momonosuke is in danger. <gasps> so uh, they uh, also, uh, God, what is his name? Kappa boy. What, oh, uh, Kawamatsu. Kawamatsu. So he says that he remembers a voice saying that Lord Momonosuke was with the Kunoichi because there has been the thing spying on them. And of course, the voice went out to through all of them uh, passing information along. So presumably while they were, you know, half conscious, that's when Kawamatsu heard it. So they start thinking like, okay, so, so Momonosuke must be with Shinobu. So we can send a message to warn her. And as they're discussing this, the fake Odin lights a match and lights some freaking dynamite tied to his torso underneath his kimono. And, a couple of the Akasaya realize this as Odin rushes in to clash with them and says, Hey, come on, don't, don't, don't hunt down a dying. It would be tasteless to hunt down a dying man. Stay here and fight with me. So Ashura takes a breath and gets up and bull rushes the fake Odin and says, the rest of you get out of here. Go stop Kondro. And he tackles Odin through the window and, the fake Odin tries to stab him to get get away, and Ashura says, never defile Kozuki Odin again, as the dynamite goes off and explodes with Ashura right in front of it. And uh, also the blast is powerful enough that even the people that are in... And, but once they pick themselves up, Kinemon's very pissed now, and he rushes off shouting Kondro's name. Kondro, meanwhile, is somewhere nearby, in fact... Um, and he says, become Kozuki, bring down Kozuki, then die. 
It is the greatest final act my entire life. A beautiful and poignant drama. He's weird. Also, Jack's there. Jack's arrived. He's very cool. And uh, so he's done that. Uh, he's trampled over a few of the uh, minks along the way. So at that moment, Dogstorm says to Rizo and Cat Viper to hurry on ahead. He's going to handle Jack himself. And Jack's like, oh, you're going to stop me on your own. And Dogstorm says, well, we're both injured, so it seems fair. And Jack's like, yeah, but there's no moon. You're not going to see any moons down here. And Dogstrom says, yeah, nor is there any poisonous gas. So we'll both have to make two. It's very cool. Uh, all the others run off so that while Dogstorm uh, holds down the fort here, uh, there's a fire in the castle all of a sudden. It's a distraction whipped up by Orochi. But his head was cut off. What? How is he alive? It's one piece. That's how. <laughs> well, we also know that he has the, the a dragon fruit. Yes. So, well, he's got the uh, Yamata, Yamata no Orochi. So, so he's running around. Um, some guy shoots a guy. I can't remember the name of this tall headed man, but he shoots a random beast pirate guy. Well, Orochi says that he's planning to burn the entire castle down. And you'll all die up in the sky where there's nowhere to run. That was the last mistake you'll ever make. I'll slaughter every last one of you. So, you know, he's acting about the same as he was before. Hmm. We cut over to Team Momonosuke. And uh, Momonosuke has calmed down after uh, transforming into his dragon form, which apparently was done because he was stressed. And uh, Yamato comments... I wonder if your power works like my father's. If only I could turn into a monster like him, it would be such a help to everyone. Which, uh, oh no, that's that's what Monosuke is saying this. If only I could turn into a big dragon, I could be helpful. Uh, then Yamato says, I hope Luffy's all right. I want a chance to beat Kaido too. You know, since I'm Odin. Yes, yes you are, Yamato. Yes. So. Uh, then, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, Momonosuke notes that Luffy is weakened, but somehow he's fine. And Shinobu at first is relieved, but then she says, wait, how do you know that? And then we cut to the rooftop where Luffy is weakened, but is fine. And uh, it's at the moment where he seems to have just recovered from his gear four. Uh, as things are going so well uh, with the uh, new world uh Supernova is going up against Big Mom and Kaido. Now that Kaido is in his uh, hybrid form, everyone's like, how are we supposed to beat them? Our attacks can't do anything. But Luffy says, no, no, they're working. All these at attacks have got to have some effect. They're just as human as we are. He tries to launch into an attack and then just gets knocked back into a wall, which apparently has happened like multiple times in a row. So he's literally bouncing back from getting smashed into it. Uh, so they're thinking about what they should do. And law proposes that they peel Kaido and big mom apart from each other, because with the two of them side by side, it looks like we're in hell. And, uh, Kaido's got Kaido's uh, Kaido's all scaly now. Yep. We see his half dragon form. Yes. 
And uh, that's 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 about it. That's the chat. We just get to see him standing alongside Big Mom and Kaido and Luffy exchange some fighting words, and that's about it. So yeah. this is a pretty underwhelming chapter of One Piece, um, at least in my mind. Uh, not a whole lot happens, at least not a whole lot that seems like we're progressing the story forward at all. It's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff like Orochi's still alive, and it's like. Yeah, all the foreshadowing suggested he was still alive. Like, we see Kaido's new form. Like, yeah, I know that's how the last chapter ended with this fight was we were going to see Kaido's new form. Kanjiro's uh, alive. Like, that's kind of disappointing. It was actually yeah. a little bit more satisfying that he just got kind of killed like a dog or taken out like a dog by Okiku. It was just like, you're not actually the real fucking issue here. It's Kaido. And they just fucking smoked him going to that so this just kind of felt like a chapter where i was like i just really didn't feel like anything particularly happened but but dog storm and jack are kind of fight Uh, look to the century i mean i'm sure someone will come in and that is actually the best part of the chapter is just like uh dog storm being like or you know kaido be or uh jack being like there's no moons down here and dogs will be like yeah there's not any poisonous gas here either so i guess we're both gonna have to make do and it's like shit that's a fucking pretty good burn i do like that yeah i did i did think that dog storm saying that was probably the highlight of this honestly the whole thing with ashura's big sacrifice which i'm sure he's fine uh <laughs> didn't actually have that big of an effect on me because there's been a lot of characters introduced in this arc of one piece. And some of them have had much bigger emotional impacts than others. Um, I, you know, talked a few chapters ago about how like, Oh, Hey, you know, I really like Otoko and how she's getting involved in this again, because, you know, we were given time to connect with her, get to know how she relates to some of the other players and all of this. And also just like get to know where she's coming from and why this matters to her. Ashura, well, he was one of the samurai, and then he was a bandit guy, and they recruited him. Yay! <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, look, so I get it. One Piece has had a kind of attitude towards it, I would say, at least since Dressrosa, that like side characters are particularly kind of important in these sorts of things. And I think the, the fight with Cryos kind of established, like, all right, one Piece is willing to kind of let its major characters sit to the side to tell a more personal story kind of connected to the arc and everything like that. Um, and it's not even an issue there, because I, I I, know my joke and the joke a lot of people use, he's going to come back. He might not. Pedro died, but at the same time, fucking Pound didn't. So I don't know which category Ashura Doji is going to fall into. Maybe he'll look dead and then there'll be a cover page where he's he's opened up a fucking petting zoo for kangaroos on some random eye. Like it could be anything. So I don't really know. It, it comes down to this level that what do I care about watching this the uh Akazaki 9 do right now? And I'll be honest, I thought their combined efforts to try to defeat Kaido was the most interesting thing about them. Mm. And that was kind of the, like seeing that they they all together were able to almost scar Kaido was that cool moment. And now it's a case of like, all right, what are what's going to really kind of what, what do they have to do to the story right now? Because I don't think they're going to fight Jack. I mean, maybe they will, but I, I just I kind of thought the coolest things they could have done. They did. And now I don't really know why we're still involving them in Conjure and everything like that. Yeah, um, 
it's a little bit weird. Maybe maybe we'll have a different appreciation for it when we're looking back on this even a couple months from now. Yeah. But it's kind of, it can be frustrating to, you know, be reading along in a story and you get to a point where it's like, well, I don't really see where this is going to lead. Mm. And so when you have that and you're supposed to be like kind of excited for what's going to happen next, if then you don't really know, then it's like, well, I can't really be excited for that. Yeah. So, and to be fair, this also might just be something that only feels this way. Cause we're reading it in a week to week format and Possibly. it may feel differently if you're reading it in one big chunk, you know, but when you're waiting week to week and you have the weeks where Oda's off because he's taking care of himself, which feels significantly more important when you hear that Ashihara injured himself, like had another kind of turn for the worse. And mm-hmm. now we're not getting another chapter until June. Mm-hmm. Like one of those things where you're just like, I want these people to take care of themselves. Uh, it, it It's one of those things of like, oh, this chapter felt like we were going backwards instead of forwards. But at the same time, it's like, and you know, maybe it flows better when it's read in one chunk as opposed to a week to week thing. Yeah. Um, so with that all said, let's close things out because we're running a little bit late tonight uh, due to the technical difficulties at the start of the show. Let's wrap things up by uh, naming our favorites this week. Favorite chapter MVP. Yes. Uh, favorite chapter is definitely Elusive Samurai. It was a, I think a lot of chapters this week were pretty good to at least all right. But Elusive Samurai was the one where I was like, this is was a great chapter. I think that out of all the chapters this week, there were a number that were, well, that was all right. But Elusive Samurai was probably the one where I had the most moments of, okay, that's cool. Um, and I did actually feel excited when something happened. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, that, that is, uh, that I'm going to agree with you there. MVP is kind of a tough one. Um, because short of just giving it to Tokiyuki, uh, for, Hey, being a cool main, main hero and us getting a chance to see what he's about and seeing that, Hey, a series centered on this guy in an action role could really work. Um, I don't know. Like <laughs> I might just end up giving it to him. So yeah, you can go for. I mean, I'm gonna give mine to Goodwin. I guess I just really appreciated uh, a character looking cool and having an interest in Rebecca that wasn't like, I want to see you without your clothes on or something weird like that. I, I was just oh, kind there's of a, only been thirty of those. <laughs> I kind of just so I, I, I I thought that was kind of a cool moment. So I'll I'll give it you know where I can. Yeah, I totally get that. Uh, All right. The audience, by the way, I should note, pick drag nine balls. Dragon parade as their chapter of the week and Tokiyuki as their character of the week. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for weekly manga recap. We record the show Wednesdays in the evening here on twitch.tv slash starting sometime between seven and eight p.m. Eastern uh, to stay updated on exactly when that is going to happen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. That's uh, twitter.com slash uh, podcast. Your hosts are at Rolo T and at Nick F Time. You can also join us on our Discord server where we have a great community uh, where that makes recommendations, reads the recommendations, and talks about it on the uh, Discord server and has weekly Among Us games on Saturday mornings, weekly Among Us. Uh, check it out this Saturday because there's a new map that I'm sure people are excited to play. Uh, 
Speaking of the recommendations, you can check keep uh, check out what all has been recommended to us on the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i. There are also that also keeps track of a bunch of statistics associated with the podcast, which has been running for almost ten years now. So there are quite a few of them. And uh, the next uh, recommendation that we'll t- be taking a look at. Uh, I kind of have forgotten that we were planning on doing this eventually when you mentioned it a couple weeks ago, Chris. So I figure, eh, might as well try it now. Four Nights of the Apocalypse. The hey! <laughs> a good 10 or so chapters available right now, so we'll dive into that and see what we think about it. All so. right, looking forward to it. Special thanks to those of you who support us on Patreon. We love creating bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Patreon.com slash Recap. And special thanks to Steve Mann, our tile artist. You can check out his work anywhere boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And Milo Jack Stillitz and Winslow Del Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, which you can see in all of our YouTube uploads. Is yes. that just YouTube.com slash Weekly Manga Recap? Yep, YouTube.com slash Weekly Manga Recap will take you there. Unless they took that away from us, too. <laughs> Entirely possible. So, Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it, everybody. We'll catch you next time right here. Twit, uh, whatever this is. I've, I was doing the goodbye. The to internet. Walls. The internet. I was doing the we'll goodbye. see you next time on the internet. <laughs> goodbye.